Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time talking for about. Mortgage Matters. Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Jason. <laughs> good morning, America. Wow. I don't know how far reaching this is, but we can we can greet America. We can go all over the world. Yeah, those little apps, and you know, we're we're probably on, we're probably on in Europe right now. I I have to I have to think that we. Yeah, it's because we're on the line. Just, is your mom right. in Europe? <laughs> she would be listening, <laughs> middle of the night. Uh, dude, rough day so far for me. Uh oh. Yeah, you know how I know the glass is half full. Because it's in the back seat of my truck. <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's legal. No, nah, my. <laughs> My coffee Something mug, which was, I was so sure was the lid was securely fastened, managed to fall and spill in the back uh, of my truck on the way. And yeah, that's always a bad and sign. And I should be happy that only half of it spilled for two reasons. I didn't spill the whole thing, and I still have some coffee left to drink. But when there's a half a thing of coffee in the carpet of the back seat of your truck, trust me, the glass is half full. Yeah, so that's how I'm doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to shake it off and have a better attitude here shortly. Um, Dan, how was the week for you? It's great. Yeah, great week. Yeah, lots of exciting uh, news over this last week. Plenty to talk about today. Wouldn't you agree? I concur. Yeah, yeah. And and we also have a guest on uh, for the middle segment of the show, which I'm quite excited about. So that's a uh, I always like the episodes where we have a guest on. I don't I don't leave with quite that uh, strained feeling in my voice. You don't have to do as much of the heavy <laughs> lifting on the talking. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to say, Dan? Yeah. I think Dan tries a... to get a word in edgewise, but he just can't sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Today I'm making a concerted effort to talk less. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> hey, man, I find that when I don't talk, there's a, there's dead air. So I just need you to talk faster, and then I won't. Faster. Yeah. So it sounds like you're asking me to take less time talking so that you have more time to no, talk. No, no, no. When when there comes a lull, ah, you fill in quickly there, and then I won't panic and just begin to fill. Ah, uh, fill in quickly. Don't talk quickly. No, yeah, you can talk as slow as you want. Okay. In fact, we could probably even get Jim to put an effect on your mic that slows it down. So, um, yeah. I, I think I'd just be leaving the studio right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, is it time to go already? <laughs> It, it's really only 10.08. Yeah, I mean, we've got a little more time here. We've got some time. So it's November. It is. Which is exciting. We've got a long weekend this weekend. Veterans Day. Yeah. Veterans Day weekend. Yeah, we That's talk right. about veterans benefits. You know, veterans, uh, aren't there VA loans? There are VA loans, yes. It's funny that you would mention that, too, because there seems to be an influx of VA loans lately. Um, I get a lot of calls about VA loans. In fact, mm -hmm. yesterday when we were having our um, 
we do like a strategies meeting for our marketing plan and and we talk specifically about um doing a better job of explaining uh what what benefits there are to a va loan the fun thing about that is is that the va loans have um have really changed a lot jim's surprised already he found something that i can talk about <laughs> shocker yeah yeah boy <laughs> i thought you know Probably not. <laughs> yeah, but you know the funny thing about the VA loans is that there's this general sentiment out there, and um, it's I think perpetuated by a lot of real real estate um, professionals that a VA loan is a less than great type of deal to let your seller endure, and um, you know so that there's a misunderstanding I think about the process and the expenses and. And all that kind of thing. So we're gonna we're gonna really make a push here to try to get a lot of useful information out about the VA loans and and really what a great loan program it is. Help the sellers understand that it's okay to sell to somebody using a VA loan, uh, and then also just try to get everybody up to speed on on what what goes into that kind of thing so we can talk more about that later i don't really want to do the whole loan thing just yet maybe after heck maybe we'll talk with our real estate guest about it all great ideas yeah yeah there's a lot of news that we should probably cover here in the first little segment yeah dan we missed you last week did you yeah wow that's nice to hear yeah totally and um <laughs> i gonna thought about that <laughs> Why was I missed? Well, because you weren't here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why else? <laughs> Just my presence? Was there like something missing from the show? Oh, of course. I mean, you you always add all of those just tokens each time. Mm. Um, last week, Will and I, um, at my direction, I suppose, were trying to relate back each piece of data as how it would impact or be expected to impact the lending market kind of just trying to tie back some of these things i think there's a mix of people that listen to the show and uh in an effort to just do a little bit better job i'm trying to hone in on who might be listening and why uh, there's a lot of people that listen to the show because it's one of the few um kind of conversations that happen in a really casual way about some uh the goings on in the economy you know, all these little pieces. And when you talk about like a producer price index or initial jobless claim or some kind of move that the European Union is making or something, um, I think there's people that just like to hear that because they, they like to be up to date on what's happening in the general economy. Um, and then I also think there are people that are actually listening that, that are into it because of its um, real estate and lending platform, and so I just want to I just want to try to do a little bit better job of tying back why we talk about these things, and um, so we kind of did like a case in point thing last week, and so this week um, thought maybe we could start the same way, um, and the first little uh, bold headline that I have to kind of to start this out is that um, rates took it on the chin this week. That's that's kind of my uh, the ground that I'm starting from, and then I expect as we talk through some of this data, we'll begin to explain why the the news and the reportings this week um, would have an impact on interest rates that may move them 
uh, in an upward direction. What do you think? That sounds like an excellent plan. So and and uh, and yeah, and if we like it and we get good feedback, then maybe we could always try to to make sure that we we drive back each point. I thought so, we already did that. Yeah, I mean we do <laughs> we do it to some degree. I think it's just kind of more loosely about what happens with the bond yield based on good news or bad news. But what's really interesting with all of the taper stuff though with the feds buying 85 billion a month worth of uh, securities here is that we're back to good news is bad news and bad news is good news to some extent you know things are almost having a unpredictable it seems an unpredictable type of impact on the market so anyway yeah so let's let's dive into it man where's your uh Where's your notes? I've got some notes. I think the big the big thing was the delayed employment report this week that really sparked a jump in the ten year Treasury note yield and likewise in mortgage rates on Friday. Um, walked into the office and that ten year yield was about what twelve thirteen basis points higher than the day before, maybe fifteen. It was quite a quite a little one day jump. A bit surprising. But again, it has to do with expectations. Sure. Yeah, that was kind of a theme this week, by the way. Every week, the economists sort of say, this is the data that, that's coming out this week, and this is what we're expecting to see. And we know that, that our markets price in these expectations. So in terms of that, uh, the employment situation for October that you're touching on, um, kind of an interesting gig. Uh, it was So it comes out on Friday. Uh, it's generally in the first Friday of the month, and because of the shutdown, it was delayed to the second Friday this month. That's right. And so, what <clears throat> were analysts expecting? One of the metrics that we're looking at is how many jobs were created uh, in the month of September. Only one hundred forty-eight thousand jobs. That's not a great number. Looking for much higher than that, actually. Um, for the month of October, knowing that we just came off 148,000 in September, analysts expected only 125,000 jobs. So you got to imagine that that if that number proves to be true, these guys have priced in um, a pretty bad number, and are ex you know, their if their expectations are met, they're right on the money. They've predicted a very soft month and a weak month for jobs. Um, that number popped out and uh, very strong. That that number um, coming out, let's see here, 204,000. And then they revised the backward month plus 60,000. So you end up in a, in a position where expectations are actually just shattered. And... Those numbers, 200,000 jobs, if we were doing 200,000 a month every month, that's, that's really headed in the right direction. Um, and then additionally, in this same month, we learned that the um, for the first time in a few months, actually, the unemployment rate didn't fall. And while that may not sound like a good thing, for the last several months, it's been falling because of a lack of job availability and participation. So to see that number hold true kind of, um, to me, suggests a little bit actually that more people are able to participate and are able to find employment. And that's, 
I, that's actually a good thing. I was kind of happy to see that number stay put. We want to see it fall, but you want to see it fall because so many good jobs are being created. <clears throat> and that seems to be what we're seeing for the last 24 plus months is every time the rate goes up, it's actually good because more people are gaining confidence in that jobs market and starting to look for a job that otherwise were just sitting on their couch had given up. Right. So it seems like every time the rate goes up, that's actually good news for the jobs market. What I found really interesting was leading up to this report, um, the the expectations were so low. I'm the hundred and twenty thousand, hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar or jobs added expectation was so low, um, and some of the quotes that I saw leading up to this report, you know, one in particular was a, a Bank of America Merrill Lynch economist. We have we'll have much less confidence in these numbers than usual. Basically saying whatever happens, it's it's an aberration because of this government shutdown. We're not going to put a lot of stock in whatever these numbers are um, because we're anticipating them being so horrible. But we know it's an aberration because of this this event that isn't going to happen. Not this month. Anyway, we'll see come January. But then the number the numbers come out great. And all of a sudden it's this amazing report that. It seems like there is a lot of faith being put in these numbers. So well, I, I find that it's be... got to make you raise an eyebrow to say if the data is really not going to be reacted to because it's so low and it's an aberration because of the, the recent happenings in the government. Would it maybe have been 250,000? And so 200, you know, so. Is there actually some real strength coming now? We'll see. We're heading into an interesting time of year, by the way. I mean, we're coming into prime retail season. And um, so, yeah, so interestingly enough, this number, if it stood just alone, might feel a little bit disconnected. But there's a lot of other data that came out with this number. I think one of the big pieces that we saw that that complemented this employment report was income. Um, earnings levels were up uh, about half a percent in September, matching the August gain. And they're both fairly strong numbers. Some of the strongest we've seen this year um, had a little bit to do with the end of government furloughs. But all in all, to see incomes increasing at a at a better clip is is nice to see because that's one of the big storylines i think for the past decade is wage stagnation we really haven't we've actually seen on an inflation adjusted basis wages have declined over the last 10 years so whether or not there's a lot of jobs available the the income mobility just isn't there and and that's i think that weighs on confidence a little bit it households are kind of stuck they can't they can't grow to those next levels, and um, and so to see wages improve, and then also we saw spending was was still kind of modest, so savings was higher, and that's I think good just for a stable consumer. It's everybody that's saving up to be able to spend it next month, right? <laughs> I I had some spent some time this week with some friends in the restaurant business, and they were talking about how um, it's just slow lately, and wondering why it's slow, and I said, hey. It's October, or I mean, it's November. We got just a few weeks away. People begin traveling for Thanksgiving, and then there you are in Black Friday. So as everybody, and I hope that people 
are um, planning to make their purchases and they're they're trying to dream up a way to do this without putting it on credit cards. Maybe eat out a little bit less, spend a little bit less, and save a little bit more in the weeks leading up to it. Um, so that's that probably has something to do with it. But yeah, all in all, income up, which leads to consumption up too. Um, people were hanging on to more of the dollars, but our economy runs on uh, folks making money and getting out there and spending it. Good to see both of those numbers um, really barely above expectations, but in good ground. Consumer spending has a little asterisk next to it this month. It was up only 0.2%, but um, because of the odd timing of Labor Day this this year, it, Labor Day, the Monday was actually the 1st of September. Um the weekend sales for Labor Day actually fell into the August numbers. So I think the consumer spending number that was mediocre um, was a little bit was skewed downward because of that odd timing of Labor Day. Sure. So that's something to keep keep in mind. I think the the rest of this year actually looks pretty promising, um, given the improving employment, the improving wages, um, the you know, the this tendency towards saving. I saw a report less money put on credit cards. So we're, we've got a consumer that's set up for hopefully a good retail season. A couple of other things that I think are supporting a good retail season this year. Um, I think the biggest is gas prices. The biggest issue right now is gas prices. They're down to pretty darn low levels. I, I was trying to think back, when's the last time I filled up for three fifty a gallon? Um, it's been a while. I'm so disconnected from gas, <laughs> and I'm, I'm so uh, just bummed about the gas thing because I watched gas falling, and of course, I I just switched over to like a, a diesel truck platform, and diesel hasn't dropped at all. Uh, so that's actually, too bad. So Darn, huh? All you, all that slamming earlier in the show. All you gassers are now getting the yeah. benefit. Uh, nationwide, gasoline is down to three twenty-one a gallon, which is the lowest price since December of 2011. You so it's a two-year low in gas prices. Can I mention where they bring out the Lumberg letter? I think it's for gasoline. It's in Camarillo or something. And I was down at a like a, I think it was an Exxon station in Camarillo. And of course, it was a little bit out of the way, you know. Understand that, but it was like three thirty nine a gallon. Damn, there you go. Last week, that's a good price. Yeah. It's because we've been conditioned that four bucks a gallon is yeah. the norm. There's so a lot of that going, going back. On. It's going from absolutely insane back to crazy, and we're okay. Yeah. We're okay with crazy. You know, I was happy when it hit three eighty, three seventy, and now I've seen it below three fifty, and I'm just like, I'm wowed. I'm like yeah. filling up as often as I can. Exactly. Just you know, want to. Quarter, I need a quarter tank. Let me fill up because who knows what tomorrow's to going to be. We've deviated from my objective only a little bit. So let me just oh, oh, I'm pop sorry. quiz to make sure that you're paying attention. Yeah. Um, so a strong jobs report. Yes. Good or bad for interest rates? Uh, usually you would expect that a strong jobs report is bad for interest rates. That it's going to move rates higher. Yeah. Additionally, a strong job. Yeah, just because getting people back to work means that everything's firing on all cylinders and you, you start to move into that season where you got higher rates. The other thing, don't forget, people looking for the tapering signals. What is the signal by which we may begin to taper? 
continued improvement in employment. So as as we get that good news in the jobs market, it does it puts upward pressure on both fronts on the interest rate, um, just for the overall traditional um, upward pressure. But then additionally, in theory, drawing forward that date that the feds may begin to taper. Um, so the second little thing, um, real quick, personal income and consumption, um, both both in the um, the good numbers here good or bad for rates? Generally, you'd expect bad for rates. I mean, in general, good economic numbers are bad for interest rates. Rates will tend to move higher. Yep. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because with that goes savings rates exactly. too. Yeah. So it's it's not all bad. In fact, we want to see the economy get better. We, we need higher interest rates at some point, right? I mean, it, it isn't normal to spend years on end at the, the really low rates that we have been. Um, there was another another piece this week that came out. Um, U.S. service sector companies expanded at the fastest pace in October. Um, so this is the ISM index, the Institute for Supply Management. They survey purchase managers, um, executives. So these are guys that are buying um, supplies for their companies. This went up in the month of September. Uh, we were expecting a drop. Um, and just to put it into context, it's funny because this is a metric that's tracked at uh, this good number here is 55.4%. Um, if your kid comes home with that on a math test, that's you guys still are, yeah, you're still staying enough. up late uh, <laughs> to try to learn the material. The reality is, is that any reading over 50% indicates that company companies are expanding rather than shrinking. And so that's a good thing. That index certainly spent time below 50 um, during this little recession that we had. So um, good news to see that companies uh, are, are being surveyed and we're polling to find out that the general climate for these businesses is that they're buying and they're growing. Um, which is really encouraging. That too is not necessarily a good thing for interest rates. Dan, you mentioned gas prices. This one's a touch of a head scratcher. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Here's my opinion about gas as it relates to the economy. And I understand there are a lot of different things that play into gas because of the way that it's traded and the futures and everything on it. But check it out. If tomorrow's rosy, you know, one of the biggest um, uses or, or consumption draws on, on petroleum is building um, and building industrial buildings, uh, all of the materials and energy that goes into doing those things. So generally speaking, when the future looks rosy, gas goes up um as the as it's going to be in heavy demand during all of the consumption manufacturing travel expenses shipping i mean you throw it all in there puts an upward pressure on gas um gas has been declining here as we see the economy picking up a little bit of steam at least if only isolating into the month of october so generally if you're tracking the price of gasoline, I would have to argue that rates kind of want to move with gas. So if gas is going down, I would expect interest rates and, and yields really to be going down. And if gas is going up, I generally would expect interest rates to be going up. So a little bit disconnected. I think it could be explained, though, in 
hey man, we just got off the summer blend, right? That stuff's more expensive. Well, I th I think I look at it a little differently. Gas has a direct effect on discretionary spending, consumers' dis discretionary spending. It leaves a consumer with more money in their pocket to spend on other goods. Um, therefore, it's going to make. I think the consumer is still going to spend the same amount of money if they're spending it all on gas there's less to go around in other places. So it helps other companies um, look better. I think it overall helps uh, confidence. It helps the country's gross domestic product look better when there's more, a little bit more money to go around. If every consumer is running out to load up on their widgets and gadgets galore, that then means that the distributors of these things are having to drive more to bring them to us, which you would think would be raising the demand on the on the fuel consumption and therefore the prices too. So I just there is a little bit of a disconnect, and and we would probably need to to talk to some sort of a you know petroleum expert to get the real insight on that. Um, I'll suffice to say. I think most people are happy that gas is the price of gas is falling at the pump. And I couldn't agree with you more. If you have at the end of the you you pay all your bills and you sit down and you look at your money, not necessarily fun money, but the the money that is going to be going out this month um for shopping or eating out or just groceries those things in general what we'll call your discretionary or your disposable income um Putting less of that into your gas tank is a good thing because now you're going to be freed up to maybe go grab that Starbucks or pick up a new Xbox or something. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, happy to see the, the gas price falling. Somebody please send a memo to the diesel folks that we'll need to see that <laughs> fall soon. Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure what's up with that. It's 10.30 now. We just powered through the first half an hour, so thank you for being with us. We have a guest we're going to bring into the studio during this break. Um, we're going to have a change gears a little bit. We'll come back to some of this data and the, the closeout half hour of the show. Do stick with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. When you decide it's time for a new vehicle, you do your research. Then you comb the internet and the dealerships for the best offer. So when you're shopping for a home loan, why would you only get one quote? Central Coast Lending would like to remind you that no one has ever lost money from a second opinion. So before you sign, let Central Coast Lending give you a quote. We work with multiple banks to find the right loan for you, and more often than not, our rates and fees are the lowest you'll find. Give us a call today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. 
Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. It's 1034. You're listening to KVC. Jason Grody with Dan Podesto and now joined by Mary hey. McNally. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. All right. Well, we're not going to go so easy on you this time because it's your second time. So I hope you're ready. All right. I'll Dan, try and be up to it. Dan generally does the, uh, I don't know, it's almost like a, a deposition. When you're on for the second time, he's he'll really he's gonna grill you out here. So wow. be he did ready say for he's it. the structure guy. He is the structure guy for sure. And speaking of that, um, the notes you've provided today are truly awesome. Um, definitely the most organized guests we've ever had on the show. So we thank you for that. So and it looks like we have about four hours of material to get through here. So we gotta yeah we gotta go. <laughs> we're gonna go at a fast clip. So I'll, I'll thank you now to keep the uh, editorial pieces at a minimum. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I always wonder what it must be like to be a guest on this show because uh, obviously we're pretty nonchalant and free-flowing about the whole thing. Uh, a guy a, a month or two ago um, may have suggested that it, he thought it was classier than it actually is. Somebody told me when they came to the office one day they expected me to be a small little skinny dude with a bow tie. <laughs> I thought that's interesting. I thought you're terrible at like envisioning how things really are, aren't you? That's kind of more Dan. I mean, not you're not skinny, oh, skinny, not oh, small, yeah. not skinny, not small. You're skinny. Dan's you know? bringing the looks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm like I'm like a linebacker, and Dan Dan looks more like a quarterback. Let's let's call it go. that way. I, mean, I wasn't gonna call you all skinny and stuff. Yeah. People ask me all the time if he's a model. Hey. We're off track. Look at that already. <laughs> so, all right. Well, Mary, good morning. Welcome. Um, thanks for coming in today. And um, so, yeah, I want to start again. First of all, we can't assume that everybody that's listening today was listening last time. So just to set the stage appropriate, like uh, appropriately, I like to get a little bit 
from you about your background and uh, what brings you here today. Sure. What brings me here today, we are going to talk about using your retirement accounts to invest in real estate. And uh, so part of my background, I came to this probably a little bit indirectly. I have an uh, economics degree from UCLA. I came to real estate as an investor myself, got really well versed in landlord tenant issues before I ever became a real estate agent, uh, helped advise a lot of clients in that direction and in investing in real estate. Ended up with a securities license representing high net worth investors and private placements, which were real estate based primarily. Um, I have an affinity for kind of intricate transactions or things that take a lot of detail or esoteric subjects that most people just don't even know about. And part of that, it just it I'm a little bit of a real estate junkie, so it just feeds the um, feeds my own interest. All right, you got me. I'm hooked because now it you so you use some big words in there, and I'm still tracking well with you. You're an expert in the true sense at at real estate, um, and we run into this in the loan world. There's people that do loans, and then there are people that are loan experts. And so checking you out, you you are you have an economics degree. Yeah, but I would like to say that I'm always learning. Uh, there's always something new I learn on every transaction. There's always somebody who asks a question that I, I have to say, I, I have to go look that up. So sure. there's a lot of different caveats and details and to the to different types of strategies. A couple of uh, a few episodes ago, I, I don't expect that you were listening. This is kind of a dry show here, but um, we, we got on the topic of talking about um, using retirement accounts to purchase real estate. Um, it came up in the context of um, somebody that we know was, and I'll, I hope that you'll be able to explain this to us, um, using their 401k to purchase investment property that was like more or less owned by the 401k and then their 401k was growing with the investment uh, of that and struck me as really interesting. We have a lot of people around here with big retirement accounts, so it seems like a, a unique strategy and we don't hear a lot about it, probably because it's complicated. Well, there are a couple of reasons that you don't hear about it and primarily you don't hear about it because the vast portion of the retirement the funds managed are managed by traditional brokerage houses, uh, Schwab's, Merrill Lynch's, that kind of thing. Most of those don't offer self-directed IRA features. So you can't invest in anything except what that brokerage house offers. So if they don't offer it, they don't have an incentive to tell you about it. And all the millions of dollars that are in the market uh, talking about different retirement options if they're not if able to offer it to you, they have an, a disincentive to tell you about it. Sure. So uh, it people have to find out about it uh, through programs like this. I offer seminars on the subject, uh, but it's not widely known about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I... I don't want to get off of the syllabus here, but I'm dying to talk a little bit more about that. So maybe you could tell us what it looks like if, um, first of all, who's who's the right candidate for this to be making this kind of a transaction? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, almost anybody is a good candidate, but I do find that there are certain people who are more likely to do it. There are some people who uh, don't want anything to do with managing property and some people who live and thrive on it. So um, 
uh, it has a lot to do with the structure of uh, what they're looking for from their retirement property. There are a couple of restrictions on having investment property in your IRA. For instance, you can't use it personally. You can't live in it. So sometimes people call and go, I want to buy a piece of property and they think it's like taking a loan from their IRA to buy a house and mm -hmm. that they can then live in the house. And that's not it. It is it is an arm's length transaction as defined pretty clearly by the IRS. They don't want you to per, per, use it personally. They have uh, a lot of details for how the transaction goes. Um, and so it has to be somebody who's interested in using it at, as an investment for a lot of different reasons. And I mean, I'll ask you, I ask this in my web, web in my seminars a lot of the time, kind of why would you invest in real estate? Um, for a few reasons. Number one, I think for me personally, the biggest reason is that I think real estate is the ultimate hedge against inflation. That's a, that's one of the, an exceptional reason. I mean, it's a tangible asset. You have direct control over the asset. The the property is held inside of the retirement account, inside of the 401k or the IRA, but you have control over how it's managed. You get to give the direction for how it's managed. Uh, so you have direct control. You can take 100% of the profits. You have relatively fixed costs. For instance, if you buy in California, we're protected by Prop 13. So your property taxes are relatively fixed over the life of the hold. Uh, you generate income, and while you generate income, you preserve the capital of the investment. And I'll just, as an example, I'll say, say, for instance, in 2007 or 2008, when the stock market crashed, people who had recently retired, they might have been getting income from their distributions, but uh, they might have actually had to sell stocks or bonds to get that income that they lived off of. At that point, the stocks were worth a lot less, so they had to sell a lot more in order to get the same amount of income to live on, improperly structured as an English sentence. But um, um, if you have a piece of income property, you're going to generate, a, a, and you buy it well, and you're going to generate the kind of income over the life of the hold. You're going to pay off the mortgage over time, and you don't have to cannibalize the asset to get that income. You don't have to sell off little bits of the asset and have ever and ever less principal like you might with a different type of investment. And yeah, as, as uh, inflation goes up, rents are gonna go up. It is a great inflation hedge. Yeah. So, and just to kind of tie this back in case anybody missed what you were saying, I knew a lot of people like this in 2008 that let's say that the stocks that you were living off of were an average of $100 a piece. And so you had to sell X number of them to keep the lights on at home. When those stocks now became worth 50 or $60 a piece across the board, you're selling nearly twice as many in that period to generate the same amount of revenue. So if that's your retirement plan, if you had enough money to go 30 years after um, you had to be staring in the face of that, realizing that you had just shortened your term of survival down to about 15 years. So what you're describing in this real estate world here, if you've done this, the rent is still being paid to you. Even if the rent is a little bit less, you're not having to sell off 
200 square foot chunks of the house to supplement your own income. And that's that's a pretty valuable thing. Right. And I did actually notice that in um, there have been a couple of recessions and uh, there one in the 80s and one in the wait a minute, uh, probably that I was pr- present for in the 90s and then in the late 2000s and in the 80s and the 90s. My from my observation, rents never went down. And so that was one of the traditional uh, kind of philosophies was if you bought income property, the rents wouldn't go down even if the rest if the value went down. In the recession of 2007-8 to now, uh, that didn't seem to hold true. Rents actually did go down because it was a whole different kind of recession. Family, adult children went home to live with parents. Families doubled up. So a large number of people left the rental market. So rents did dip down a little bit, not a lot. They have since come back with a vengeance. Uh, but still, on the whole, uh, it's uh, you're not you don't exactly you don't have to take from the principal to maintain the property or to maintain you might your cash flow might go down a little bit, but it's different than almost the exponential rate at which it will go down if you have to sell stocks. Right. And then you're at a lower point to start with uh, with the stocks, for instance, because you're not generating the same distributions or this don't have the same principle yeah. uh, from which to bound back with a, with real estate you have the same asset to bound back makes perfect sense um we do need to go to the first break here when we get back i want to find out what type of retirement accounts even qualify for this i know that I, we see a variety of them um, on the the retirement statements that we see through the office so i'm, I'm curious to know Um, which ones are eligible. So I'll ask you that question when we get back. Everybody else, go freshen up your coffee. We've got a couple-minute break. We'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. 
Imagine if you'd purchased Google stock 10 years ago or bought gold before it went through the roof. How much money would you have right now? Today's real estate market is ripe with opportunities just like these. It's rare that real estate values and mortgage rates are low at the same time. Rates will go up and home values will too. Stop renting. Owning a home is more attainable than you think. We are living in the golden age of real estate. Call 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, you guys, welcome back. Thank you so much for sticking around. Um, I'm sure you're glued to the edge of your seat. I I am sitting here now trying. I want to figure out how I can get into this. I got so Mary. I got a. Uh, well, wait, real quick. We have Mary on. She's a a real expert of sorts in the real estate arena, and we've been talking about this idea of having a a qualified retirement account purchased real estate um, for your retirement benefit, talking about the ins and outs of it a little bit. Before the break, I, I was leading us into this area here. I got to know. Um, so I have two different IRAs. Um, I have a Roth and a Simple. Are either of these eligible to get into this arena of trying to get them to own real estate? Most uh, there is a wide variety of options: IRAs, SEP IRAs, Roth IRAs. They're all eligible. Pension funds, individual 401ks, Roth 401ks. If your retirement account is with your current employer, it's unlikely that they would let you do that in an employee-sponsored retirement account. But if you're self-employed, or if you uh, have left a company and rolled over your retirement assets into an independent account, or if you've been contributing to an independent account, any of those can be converted to what is called a self-directed IRA. And inside of a self-directed IRA, you can invest in a wide variety of, of things that most people don't know about, and that includes real estate, mortgage notes, tax liens, precious metals, commodities, all kinds of things. Wow. So it sounds like there's an awful lot of people that are um, would be eligible to do something like this. You and you kind of struck a chord with me early on too that the person that does this has to be pretty comfortable with owning real estate. Well, actually, one of the things there are some is whether you manage the property yourself. You don't have to, and so some people will say, I don't want to buy income property or investment property because I don't want to manage it. I don't want to have tenants. You can have a management company. As a, a matter of fact, most custodians, and I'll stop there because custodians is a, a, an analogous word for a 
broker or brokerage house. It's kind of the entity that holds the property in a, in a self-directed IRA. Some custodians will let you manage the property yourself. Some will not. And so you have to have a management company. And so some people are afraid, back to your original question, some people are afraid they don't want to deal with screening tenants. They don't want to deal with tenants who are late on rent. They don't want to have to evict someone, although hopefully that's very, very rare if right. you've screened them well. Uh, but you don't have to do that because the management company can do it all for you. But one of the nice things about a self-directed IRA is you get to oversee the process intimately so you can control it very well. You can control what happens in the at the property or with your IRA. It's fascinating to me. Um, and I don't have a PERS account or a STRS account because I never worked for like the state like that. But do those are those accounts eligible or do you would you have to be separated from your job to be able to make it work? Or am I stumping you now? You would have to be most likely you would have to be separated. And that's what I meant when I said that if you have an employer employer sponsored account, if you're still with the company, most do not allow self-directed options. Usually they have some kind of cafe, uh, what do you call it? A cafeteria of options, It's not a cafeteria plan or some kind of selection of options in which you can invest. So most employer plans don't allow you to, but when you do separate from the company, you can leave your funds with that company plan or you can roll it over to a different plan. You want to make sure and roll it over. That's one of the things that you have to do carefully. If you don't roll it over directly to a new plan, you might face a tax liability and lose your tax advantage status of the account. So you can roll it over to a different account. You can roll it over to a direct IRA, a self-directed IRA. And there are just a handful of custodians in the country who really specialize in self-directed IRAs. So the next question that I, I need to, to glean from you to find out if I'm eligible here, uh, does my IRA have to have um, enough funds to pay cash for this chunk of real estate? Um, what, is the, what kind of values are we talking about needing in order to make this work? Uh, you can get a loan on a property inside of an IRA. And there are some, there are very few lenders in the country. And I, I have worked with a cross section of custodians and lenders. And so I work with the clients individually to find out the properties that they're interested and in, their specific situation to find out sometimes which structure for their self directed IRA or pension or LLC is best for them or, uh, and which, which lender is best for them. So in California, to give you just some general guidelines, you have to have enough in your IRA that you can pay you can pay 50% of the purchase price and the closing costs or get the seller to credit the closing costs. But so let's say in general, 50% of the purchase price plus reserves that are equal to about 15% of the loan value. Okay. Because this is a and there are some other some other things I do want to mention about this, but it is something considered by the banks to be in some ways a higher risk and so they want to see those reserves because you can't reach into your pocket and pay an expense if the water heater goes out on a property you have to have the reserves in the ira you can't pay it from your personal resources because those have to be separate from the ira unless for instance you haven't made a contribution to your ira this year you could take your personal resources put it into the IRA, and then pay the expense from the IRA. But you can't just pay an expense out of your pocket 
Huh. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. So it sounds like it depends on where you're buying. If you were buying investment property around here, you may be spending three or four or five hundred thousand dollars, and you really need to have an account that's valued probably close to two or three hundred thousand dollars in order really to be eligible for this. Uh, in the San Luis Obispo five city, San Luis Obispo County, that possibly is the case. But for instance, there are condos you can uh, you can invest in in condos. Um, you can pretty much invest in any type of property. You can invest in residences, multifamily property. You can invest in raw land. It actually doesn't have to be generating income right now. You can't get a loan on raw land. You'd have to pay cash for it. But you can invest in any of those things. There was actually a property I was down in Lompoc and uh, looking at some property, and there was a really nice three-bedroom, two-bath condo. I think it was listed for $175,000, and I thought that was a nice option. Rents in that area might generate somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,500 for that type of investment. Somebody could put in, um, what is that, $80,000, $85,000 would be half of the purchase price, plus you have loans equal to 15% of the loan so for under a hundred thousand dollars you could get in and have income back to your ira somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen hundred dollars a month that's a pretty good return on investment well yeah if you consider that you're getting fifteen fifteen hundred on a hundred thousand laid out i mean that's a fifteen percent annualized return we're not we're not typically seeing that right now well I mean, uh, let me let's go back because that's if you get a note if you get a mortgage on it so you oh, do okay. have to pay the mortgage on that, it's a condo, so you have to pay the homeowners association fee. So you do have some expenses that come out of that income, but still, if we penciled it all out, it's still it's a pretty good still income. Still a good deal. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, it's really interesting. I wanna, I wanna figure out how to own real estate in my IRA now. I, I, I probably need to co collect some more money first, though. I'm gonna have to get your card. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we're uh, we're heading into the the section of the uh, show here where we get the mandatory break, and um, I I think this is really a fascinating conversation. I think there are some people that are listening that are really um, really soaking up the information, trying to figure out how to make a move. Last night, I was actually hanging out with a friend of mine that's a local uh, realtor. And we started talking about retirement accounts and stuff. And he was telling me that he's just so risk adverse to contributing money into the stock market and these kinds of things because you can lose your principal so uh, easily, right? I mean, that's the whole point of like getting a yield back on buying a stock is there's some risk. And the bigger the yield, the bigger the risk. But this guy is particularly inclined to... Um, make investments in real estate. So for somebody that's wired up like that, they understand real estate, they're comfortable with it, they're looking for ways to solve retirement problems. It seems like a really natural fit. It's a natural fit. And as, sorry, we got to wrap it up. Yeah, we got to get out for the uh, break here. We have a few minutes and we'll be back and we'll continue this conversation. Do stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters.
Thank you for joining us. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. It's 11.05. We got this uh, rest of the hour here until noon with you. So thanks for being here. Been having a, a pretty fun conversation here with Mary talking about the idea of using a retirement account to own real estate. And we're building a case for a lot of reasons why it makes a lot of sense. I went out to fill up my water, Mary. You know what I was thinking about? I was talking to um, a really close friend of mine recently that's been unemployed for a few years. Mm -hmm. She was really, really gainfully employed in some big salaried jobs for a really long time. And since the recession, those companies just didn't have that position anymore. Unemployed for a few years. Um, looking for work, but not really willing to work for peanuts. Um then by the time she was more or less willing to work for peanuts, employers started saying, well, you're damaged goods. You've been out of the market for two, three years. I know what your problem is. Um, so she came to me and said, uh, I want to buy a house. I said, <laughs> <laughs> you're crazy. So I got millions of dollars in, in the IRA and in the mutual funds and all this kind of thing. She had like three or four different uh, retirement plans. Said so you can't get a loan just based on that. Um, she's not old enough to draw from it yet, so it can't be counted in the mortgage world as qualifiable income. I mean, we have plenty of people that get loans based on their retirement income, but they're over that fifty-nine and a half age, right? So in this case, um, maybe I missed a good piece of advice. Maybe I could have told her to to look into using the ira to purchase real estate um in order to generate cash flow that way i mean it doesn't solve the income problems but that's not her objective her objective was to acquire real estate um so now i gotta i, I gotta uh, assault you with a bunch of questions here okay first let me there is one point that we did discuss in the first hour so i'll just go back yeah. and clarify if she does purchase the property in the IRA, she can't live in it. She mm -hmm. cannot use it as her personal residence, but right. she can purchase it through her IRA as investment property. She can generate income from the property. That income does have to go back into the IRA. If she was to take it out, she would face the same kind of, if she is not 59, if she's 59 and a half, she can take it out under the regular guidelines. If she's not yet 59 and a half, she would face some kind of penalties uh, and tax liability based on what kind of retirement accounts they are. Sure. Yeah. So to be clear, we were we were looking into buying a piece of investment property for cash flow purposes. Okay. And one thing I do want to say, I do have to just say a disclaimer. I'm a real estate agent. I'm not a CPA or a lawyer. <laughs> and so everything that we say, we want to make sure that that listeners definitely talk to the people who are their advisors. However, I have talked to a lot of CPAs that don't know that you can buy property in an IRA. I, I have a CPA who specializes in, in property, and so he knows it intricately, intimately, whatever. Uh, and so I would say if your CPA doesn't know about it, talk to me and I'll hook you up with someone who does. But please do know that we do want you to talk to your financial advisors in addition to, in addition to listening and getting information here. Yeah, naturally. So in our world, she couldn't really qualify for a loan. But from what you're telling me, it's possible to use the IRA to get the loan. 
Um, wouldn't the borrower then have to sign a personal guarantee or qualify somehow on their end too? The short answer to that is no, but let me tell you a little bit about how loans are structured for a property purchased through an IRA. It is The loan is actually made to the retirement account, and I say IRA as shorthand for any one of a couple of different structures that your retirement account might be. Um, the loan has to be a non-recourse loan, and non-recourse loan means that the lending institution cannot come after you personally for your personal assets. The only thing, say for instance, if you were start to stop paying the mortgage, the only thing they can come after is the property. It's a non-recourse because they do not have recourse to go after you personally. Because of that, they can only use the property itself to underwrite the loan. They cannot use your FICO score, your personal assets, your home. They can't use your income. They don't use any of that. It is only the property itself, which actually in the long run makes it a really easy underwriting process. However, one of the tricks to that is the lender won't usually give you a pre-approval loan like you see in a traditional residential or income property transaction. They won't say, here's Jason, and he makes X amount of dollars, and if there's $3,000 a month in income, then he can afford a property that's worth $600,000. Won't, they won't say that. They, and so I have to, when I present an offer to a listing agent, I have to explain the structure. I have to explain that it's a non-recourse loan. I have to explain how the, prop, how the loan is underwritten on the property only. We don't get pre-approval letters. Most of the time, as we, ex, as we educate the listing agents, they become comfortable with the process. But it's a little bit different than a traditional transaction and the traditional paperwork that would go along, for instance, with an offer because you don't have some of it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of noise being made about how cash is king right now when it comes to buying real estate. There's a lot of investors out there with cash that they feel the best use for that money is buying real estate. And the cash offers for sellers are very attractive because there's a lot, you know, a lot of discussion about how difficult it is to qualify for mortgages and you know, while it's mostly predictable, there could be wild cards as far as appraisal requirements, requirements for the seller to repair insect or water damage or a number of other things. Um, whether or not the borrower is even going to make it through the underwriting process and actually qualify for the loan. So there's a little bit of risk um, in accepting an offer um, that's subject to loan approval. It sounds like the loan approval for this purchase in an in an investment uh, or a retirement account is less, there's less examination of the borrower, but does that mean the appraisal of the property is more challenging? Are there, and it, I guess the bigger question is, are there disadvantages for a seller who's considering accepting this type of offer? There are some, as I mentioned, there are two primary lenders in the country that do this type of loan. And so the underwriting process is done by a limited number of people, and sometimes um, sometimes they can make subjective decisions. And I'll give you an example. I had a client who was going to buy a fourplex in Bakersfield, and, and we got into the purchase property. We got the offer accepted. We got into escrow, and the lender said, mm, I'm just not – it was a $150,000 fourplex. And the lender said – the houses in the area are worth $80,000. Uh, this is 
I'm not comfortable on lending on this property. I'm not comfortable with the area. I don't know enough about it because they're two national lenders. They don't know the local area. And they and and so sometimes they want to they have their own rules. Like at that point he said I'd really be more comfortable if the if it was $75,000 a door minimum. Uh, that's not always the case, but you can run into some situations like that. They do have um, uh, some, like one lender won't lend on any structure that's smaller than 900 square foot per unit. So if you have a duplex, it has to be 1,800 square feet at least. So each one has their own kind of uh, conditions. And so that's why I work with the, lend with the buyer and what they want to buy to figure out which lender might be best for them, which custodian might be best for them. But once we figure it out, that's part of the sales process uh, with the seller and the listing agent to say, we've we've figured out, we've gone through all of these possible problems and and resolved all of them. And we know we know this is a property. Now, one of the things, the other things that the lender wor works at, looks at uh, is debt coverage. And so they want to per, per, uh, they want a ratio. So they not only look at the value of the house, they do look very closely at the appraisal. They look at the condition of the property. If it's falling off its foundation, they won't lend on it. So there uh, is a condition of property that they want something that is fairly secure, not a huge risk. They're conservative lenders. Um, they want a uh, debt service ratio that's 1.25 and above so you have to pay your mortgage and your property tax and uh, all the expenses related to the property and some uh, vacancy during the year and still have a 1.25 debt coverage ratio but I work with my clients to figure that out ahead of time so we know that what we're making an offer on makes sense from an income standpoint if they are getting a loan on it if it's cash inside of a pension or retirement account then it makes it really really easy it makes it really easy although i will say that if you are uh, a buyer you want to work with someone who's experienced because the details of the offer how it's written the name that it's put in all of those things are very important it's it's simple but you want to make sure and follow the guidelines set out by the irs because if you do anything incorrectly you don't want to you don't want to risk your tax advantage status Okay. Did I did I answer yeah, the oh, question correctly? And you then got some. It? Okay. And then some. Yeah. We got to uh, open up the phone lines here and take some phone calls. If anybody wants to call in and ask a question, share a comment, maybe you've uh, already been at this kind of strategy. We'd love to hear from you. Five four three eight eight three zero. Five four three eight eight three zero. That's the number. Um, really quickly, I want to. We're getting so much great information from Mary here. I'd like to give her an opportunity just to share your contact info, maybe your website. Oh, thank you. My name is Mary McNally. I'm with Peterson Team Realty. We're based in Grover Beach, but we serve San Luis Obispo County and some of Santa Barbara County. My website is IRA, the, the letters, and then the word for, F-O-R, and then the letters R-E. So it's IRA4RE.com. Phone number is 805 704-8041. And if all of that fails, you can go to 
Dan and Jason's website at Central <laughs> Coast Listing, and they mm -hmm. have that tab for radio shows. And under the tab for radio shows, they do have a list of their guests and all of their contact information, so you can find me there as well. That's right. You're on there a couple of times. Central yes. Coast Lending. Central right? Coast Lending. Yeah, Central Coast Lending. I'm sorry. Did I not say that Central right? Central Coast Listing, I think. Oops. Is, yeah. That's all right. Central Coast Lending. Um, we do have a caller waiting on the line. We've got Jeff calling in from Los Osos. Oh, hello. How are you today? I would, hi. I just, um, you know, I, I listen over the uh, national radio, and they saying that the banks are giving uh, now 5% down on a, a property. In other words, you, before when the bubble occurred, it was zero percent, and now it's five percent to you know to balance out this uh, thing that's going on with the, uh, the 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 burst of the bubble of the last couple of months. There's actually still one hundred percent financing available in our area because um, we are considered rural by. USDA standards. So there's a there's a program offered through that Department of Agriculture that offers 100% financing. I don't mean to correct you and be too technical, but technically you can do 102% financing well, with the VA loan. Fannie Mae, though, has also changed their guidelines now, and the mortgage insurance companies have followed suit. You can get a Fannie Mae loan today for 97%, which is only a 3% down payment. Um, and then FHA, as a standard, um, has a minimum down payment of 3.5%, which will do loan amounts in the state of California over $729,000. So there's a lot of um, very minimal down payments out there. Uh, it is true that you were everybody was eligible for 100% financing back in the day. Today, it takes some unique qualification to make it happen, though particularly fully documenting your income and proving very sound qualification to get those low down payment loans. And the property has to be your primary residence. That's right. So we're, we're going to go into another uh, op. Um, well, these, these programs that we just described, these have been here um, before the bubble burst since the bubble burst and are still here today. So I, I, I'm not suggesting that there's any loan product introduced to the market that's going to cause some new affordability. Um, so no, I, I would consider it just business as usual at this point. Um, lending products are not creating um, any new opportunity today that they weren't a few years ago. And, and I'd even go so far as to say that after the first of the year, there's a lot of government um, intervention, I want to call it, coming in terms of the qualified mortgage and the qualified residential mortgage, which is expected to further tighten qualification standards in terms of maximum debt to income ratio, minimum down payment, and these kinds of just appropriate documentation of ability to repay. So, no, I, I don't think it's a good takeaway to suggest that loan products are facilitating a, a new boom in the real estate economy. Okay, guys, thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call, Jeff. All right. Anybody else want to call and chime in? You can, 543-8830, 543-8830. 
when we had you on the show last time, Mary, I, I definitely remember having some um, great conversation with you. I don't know that you fully made the impression on me that this is your bread and butter. I mean, I, I definitely understood that you have a really awesome background and um, are definitely passionate about what you're doing. I also do residential and traditional so sales. So that's really what so, I wanted to ask you is, uh, you know, like you gave your your website even has IRA in the in the bar there. I also um, have McNallyRE.com. Okay. So, so <laughs> and I just want to stress this as um, people that are listening say, that sounds like a really sound plan if it meets your objectives. It's not going to work for everybody for a variety of reasons. But many people would like the level of care and expertise you're bringing just to a normal real estate transaction where it's just old-fashioned buyer and seller doing it however they do it. And um, so I, I did. I wanted to beg that out of you to just have you say that you also do that. And I can only imagine you do that um, exceptionally as well. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And one of the things that I do take a lot of pride in is that sometimes when there are traditional situations, somebody buying or selling a house and other people might say it can't be done. I like to think that if anybody can do it, I would like to think that I can. I, I search the ends of the earth to make it happen, to find the lender, to find the program, to find whatever it is to, uh, figure out some different way to look at the, look at it. Um, that we can make it happen and also to make uh, whether and also with listings uh, helping clients negotiate for really the best net to them and how to market it the best so my I also had a public relations business before coming to real estate so yes there's a kind of broad array of things that I bring to the table yeah you can tell thank you I'm so glad that we have you on today um, because of your passion for real estate and particularly for the investment aspect of real estate. Um, I know that you provided this nice outline of things we can talk about today. I thought it would be fun to throw you a little curveball and um, talk about an article that I caught in Forbes magazine. Um, the title of the article is 11 Reasons Why I Never Want to Own a House Again. And this was written by someone who seems to be pretty... Um, they're, they're still upset about the bubble bursting in real estate and and some of the challenges that they faced as a family, as a household because of that. Um, yeah. So I wanted to get your feedback on the some of the 11 points that this person I, makes about why owning real estate isn't necessarily a good option for you. I want you to know before you two engage in this that I'm not listening. <laughs> This crap's ridiculous. And I can only draw the conclusion so far that this person either sold somewhere in the slump and lost a ton of money or went through some kind of a foreclosure and, and got their lumps that way. But I don't know. Let's that, talk about crazy. it though for a Go second. Go for it. Because in the, for instance, my investment clients, I was talking to some of them in 2000. Five and saying, if you want to sell in the next 10 years, sell now. Because it was coming. It was inevitable. Uh, at the time, there was a lot of kind of fervor around buying real estate and investing in real estate. People like Donald Trump, of course, and uh, uh, 
I, I will get the name of the author wrong, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad, who advocated investing in real estate. There were seminars all over the place. And I don't mean to um, disrespect anybody who promoted real estate or, or tried to educate people along the way, but a lot of people started buying because of the anticipation of appreciation and that they could sell it in six months or a year and make a windfall. And that's not necessarily a wise way to buy real estate. And if you look at the book for even, for instance, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he did a whole series and, and he talks very passionately about investing in real estate. He talks about having kind of good debt versus bad debt or assets versus liabilities. And it's, it's really good stuff. If you look really closely at what he writes about, he said he and his wife studied the market for six years before they bought their first property. So they waited until they could buy it well before investing in the market. And so you have to figure out for yourself for the long term, if the market goes up or down, uh, is this, how, how does this, comp if it's my personal residence, how does it compare to paying rent? How much utility am I going to get out of this by being in this school district? How long am I going to be here? It's a number of different questions. If it's an investment property, you have to look at the whole package and be prepared for the ups and downs that will inevitably come. I and I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. Some it seems like this particular article focuses a lot on tax and mortgage interest deduction type of issues, um, which it, are, I think are one of the best things that a property owner can get. And I I actually mentioned this I think the last time that I was here. If you look at the people who are in Congress or have been in Congress and have been making laws for the last 200 plus years. Most of them had property, and over time, there have been a lot of laws written that benefit property owners. Like I can write off the uh, mortgage interest on, on, on a home, or I, can, I get depreciation on an income property, which is not a loss I actually take. It's just something I get to write off. That's a, that's a bonus. So if people are going to give you that opportunity to take that kind of free money— Take advantage of it. See, and this and this author's big point is that the the mortgage interest deduction, this is especially on your primary, is never as much as the actual interest you're paying. So you're not getting it all back. You're getting what 25, 30 percent of it back. Uh, of course it's not. And so you shouldn't buy your principal residence as an invest investment necessarily, or or that might be the argument to that gentleman writing that that article. You have to buy it because of the value of having a home and having somewhere to live and that otherwise you're going to be paying rent you have to live somewhere here's okay so i want to get your take on at, on this point number one this one in particular really struck me um, as investments go real estate is not always a great deal it's true that some homes do appreciate so do many other assets if you bought a house for two hundred thousand dollars 30 years ago it would be worth you know, this is just this person's example, about $470,000 today. While that gain feels impressive, that appreciation is based solely on inflation, which means that in theory, the same appreciation would have happened with any asset. Curious what your, what your thoughts are on that. Well, interestingly, <laughs> I have some clients who bought a house in 1965, I think, and they think they paid $30,000 for it. It's in Santa Barbara. And so um, they're... Uh, mature clients and so it may be worth six hundred and fifty thousand dollars it might be worth more if it was a little bit more updated um they pay probably somewhere in the neighborhood of uh 
it's under a thousand dollars a year for property taxes because they're protected under Proposition 13. Their mortgage is paid off, and so they they live free. If they wanted to move out of it, they could probably rent it for maybe in the neighborhood of three thousand to thirty five hundred dollars per month. Those are all good numbers. Uh, and and so the other thing that I would say is. Real estate is an option in your IRA as an option, as an option for diversity. Uh, so we're not saying necessarily have all of your uh, eggs in one basket, but it's an option um, for diversification. I tend to struggle to find other assets that would appreciate. I think of things like cars, like, um, I don't know. First of all, <laughs> those things tend to depreciate. Those are tangible things, though, that you can see and use like a home which is there's cool. a deductibility right and everybody that owns a home is happy to have that when tax time comes uh, you also have a depreciation factor in there too going through the years and you know whether you could argue that that's offset by the actual maintenance costs that you then can't write off or not i don't know um i haven't ever found that to be the case uh, I, I, depreciation isn't added bonus because yeah. any expenses I have usually I get to when eventually they are repaired or upgraded or maintained somehow some of those are immediate write-offs and some of those are uh, amortized over time but one way or another they they um, can be write-offs I was hanging out with my little brother this last weekend and we got on the conversation about real estate I'm encouraging him to prepare himself to buy a home soon he's got a good job um, in a good place to be able to do it and he's struggling really to see the benefit and um, so I said well let's just skip forward 30 years you're ready to retire um, you tell me in 30 years when you're 60 years old what is uh, rent going to be Right. Because if you buy a house today, I can tell you what your mortgage is going to be in 30 years. Well, in 30 years, if they don't refinance it in 30 years, very likely it's going to be paid zero. off. And so they're, talk about a hedge against inflation or a hedge yeah. against low Social Security or a hedge against so, the government going upside down or whatever it is. But on the uh, on the flip side, I mean, they're talking looking at alternatives. So let's say you invest in the stock market. Stock market's had a pretty good run lately, right? Mm. So where is it going to go from here? I can only imagine it's going up since we're um, – how far? You know, I mean, how long? I mean, okay, infinitely. so... Will it so, plateau at some point? It's right, hitting all-time highs during a recession. I feel where you're going with this. Right, and and, <laughs> and that property that he buys and, and, and the rents are going to be higher as well. So, yeah, it's a it's one of the options in yeah. a portfolio uh, that would be... It's always a good idea to have a broad range so that you don't have too much uh, in one class. That's not a necessarily a good way to protect yourself. I, as with your brother specifically, I think that's such an interesting issue. Then that was point number two in this article is that, you know, you, you buy a house, let's say for um, $200,000, you're actually going to pay $356,000 because of that interest. But when I look at it, it's kind of like you're putting with the interest, that's, you should equate that to rent you're paying. And the, the principal you pay on your loan, you should equate that to your savings account, money you're putting away in your savings, because that's equity that you're building. Um, in this example, they're only paying $156,000 in interest. I'm curious what rents are on a $200,000 home or what they think they are um, in this example, because 
$156,000 of interest over 30 years is $430 a month. And the principal that's being paid off over the 30 years is about $550 a month. So we're talking $1,000 a month to eventually own this thing and have zero payment um, in 30 years versus rent where you can pay indefinitely. Let me, yeah, let me tell you this. Let's, let's make this very clear today. Rent is 100% interest. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Right. 100%. And you could be the payer or the receiver. Right. And I wouldn't expect you guys to lose the opportunity to talk about, even though rates might have gone up a little bit on Friday, that really historically that you're still at relatively low rates and somewhere between 4 and 4.5% is just a phenomenal opportunity to lock that in for 30 years. I mean, I, th- I don't even think in Europe that they allow 30-year mortgages. Wanna... I want to tell you guys something too. While you were talking, and I was over here, uh, I pulled up my loan file. Being your usual quiet self. Yeah, I pulled up my loan file. Right, just said. Um, Sometimes I, I mean, so I bought this house in January. It's where my family lives. Um, I kind of thought maybe I overbought a little bit at the time because I. Um, it's not. I mean, I can certainly afford it. Whatever. Uh, but I wondered, you know, did I buy at the peak, like in January? Things were like it was really racy. It slowed down a little bit now. Is it but worth twenty percent more than you paid for it now? I don't even care about that. Let me tell you something here. At today's interest rate, um, I would have to pay. Um, so I paid four oh nine for my house. The rate was so low then that if I did it today, the same payment would get me a house for three sixty-five. So, and that's going to continue as the economy gets stronger. That upward trend forever. is going to continue. So when rates hit ten percent, if I had jumped in then, I would have to buy a house for three hundred thousand. But it works the other way. Which actually, Dan, is a really good, uh, also another argument for why to buy real estate because. Yes, uh, rates are going to go up, but over the last couple of years, what else has happened? Um, the feds have, have, have just pumped money into the economy. Dollars are getting worth less. Tangible assets like gold or real estate, I believe, will be more valuable over the long haul because of the stimulus plans that we've had that are going to have to come to an end. We're going to have to pay for them at some point. It's funny to hear Jason talk about his concern about buying at the peak of the market when clearly we just came off the bottom dude and i it's buy crap be, at the wrong time it buddy. reminds me of how short term most consumers think and the, you know the concerns that you bring up about people worried that rates have gone up a uh, half a percent or a percent since summertime things are still historically low so yeah. i mean you have that- to look out Right. make your scope a lot larger uh, 30 50 100 years rates have really never been where they are today. Yeah, they're a little bit higher than the actual historic low, but they're still much lower than normal. If you, Same with prices. Still today, most of the clients are getting into the low fours, depending on on all of your attributes and stuff. When these rates are 8%, you want to know what the next generation of wealthy people is going to be? It's going to people that be people that refinanced and bought real estate with 3 and 4% mortgages when the current market's at 8 and 9%. Yeah, I was talking to an investor not too long ago who's been in the market for, I'd say, 40 years. And, and he just laughs. He says he's never going to pay these, these mortgages off because it's free money to him. Yeah, it's totally. so low. Or you can rent and pay 100% interest. 
We need to take a quick break here. Um, we'll invite your phone calls. We'd love to hear from you. Get your comments or questions, 543-8830. We will be right back with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm A few hundred unexpected bucks I couldn't ask for more But now I've got to figure out What I should use it for A new bike would be radical But maybe something practical Like a pet baboon with one robotic arm Get to a better state State Farm Switch to State Farm and you could save To find out more in San Luis Obispo Call Agent Susan Rodriguez Saying that all mortgage lenders are the same Is like saying all restaurants are the same We all know that fast food isn't the same quality as 5 Star And there are a lot of fast food lenders out there But what if you could get 5 Star quality At fast food prices At Central Coast Lending that's exactly what you get Expert advice at the best possible price If you're looking to buy a home or refinance Before you sign let Central Coast Lending Take a look at your loan Call us today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast London. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the show. That was so cool. You were like, hey, welcome back. <laughs> I want to remind you that if there's any part of today's show that you missed and you're just dying to hear the beginning or the end or whatever part you missed, you can go on to centralcoastlending.com. We have the radio page where you can find, um, you can either stream the show live if that works for you, um, but we have archived shows. We have... Um, we also have them available on podcasts now, too. Yep. So there's a few different ways you can check out either current shows or um, archive shows. 
And uh, we also have profiles of all of our guests along with contact info and links to their own web pages. So um, if there's a guest in particular that caught your attention, like Mary today, um, you can go on to centralcoastlending.com, click the radio tab, and get uh, guest information as well. During the break, we usually have some of the, uh, the better bits of conversation. And Mary, you brought something up that I think is really worth pointing out. The, one of the things that people often ask me, well, first they ask if they can live in it. And if you're buying a property in your IRA, you cannot live in it. You actually are disallowed from doing work on it yourself because that is considered an excess contribution by the IRA. Uh, you cannot be compensated by your IRA. However, some custodians will let you manage it yourself. So why they distinguish it between managing yourself versus uh, working on it, I don't know why they draw the line there. but. You can't Somebody's work, cousin was a manager, right. but not a contractor. Right. And then people often ask, well, if I already own a property, can my IRA buy the property from me? And the answer to that is no. The IRS wants this to be an arm's length transaction. So you can't buy it from yourself. You no self-dealing. No self-dealing. You can't buy it from your lineal ascendants or descendants. So you can't buy it from your parents or your children or their spouses or into any entity that you or they control. So they Damn, they really thought that one through. Right. And uh, the, when I present this in my seminars, I stopped there and I said, okay, but so that is considered a prohibited transaction or a prohibited person, say for instance, your parents, but you can do a deal with a prohibited parent in a different way. For instance, or for instance, you are a prohibited person. Your IRA cannot buy something from yourself, but your IRA and you can buy something together. So say for instance, you don't have enough money in your IRA to buy something outright or to get something financed appropriately. If you have enough money that say for instance, the IRA has half and you personally have half, you can buy it together. Now the trick to that is, because I thought about that at one point. I wanted my IRA to buy half, and I would buy half. And then I thought some way down the road, my IRA would buy me out. But I can't, because but it can't, because I'm a prohibited transaction. But you could probably buy out your IRA. That's, that's correct. Uh, I would want to do that once I was already 59 and a half, so right. I didn't have any of the repercussions, uh, abnormal repercussions uh, of... Because it's basically like liquidating those funds before the the tax window opens for you. That's correct. That's correct. And so uh, I could buy out my IRA at a later time. Uh, the way that I have mine structured, I, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, but so it's a creative. All I'm saying is there is a creative way to look at it. You can't buy it from yourself. You could buy it with yourself. Your IRA can't buy it with your dad or your mom. But your IRA could buy it with your parents. The thing is, you probably are going to have to. So you would, in effect, be tenants in common, and you would each have have a, a ratio of ownership. It's very likely that over the course of ownership, you're probably going to have to maintain that exact ratio. Expenses are going to have to be paid in that exact ratio. Income is going to have to be doled out in that exact ratio. So it does get a little bit more complicated. But if there's something you really believe is a good investment or a good thing to get into, there are always creative ways of looking at things. Sure. Ah, that's awesome. 
Um, I want to give you the opportunity to um, make any final points that you might want to make. I'm not going to ask you to leave because I, I earlier in the show I said that I wanted to talk about the VA thing, and I think it'd be interesting if you were in here to participate in that conversation. So, anything else that you're really dying to to get out here on the street? Well, I would say that if somebody's interested in doing this, give a call or shoot an email. Uh, it's usually worth a conversation because it takes a little bit of time for people to educate themselves. They usually do some of their own further research. I guide them through the process. I, I acquaint them with the different custodians that are out there, the different lenders that are out there, uh, look at different properties with them. So it's a this kind of investment is a process. It's probably more of a process than strictly buying a residential property or even a traditional uh, income property purchase. So it's a process. So don't be afraid to make a call and say, hey, I, I'm interested, but I need some more information. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like to at least for somebody like me to get comfortable with this, there's probably a decent amount to learn some different people to consult. You'd want to talk to the CPA, um, maybe even a tax attorney to get some good advice. Make sure you're doing what you're that you're uh, not stepping into any any pitfalls along the way right and so if people want to send me an email there's a couple ways to do that or call uh, my email address is mary at and then it's my website is i r a the word for f o r r e dot com so mary at i r a for r e dot com and the website is i r a for r e dot com or as we pointed out, you could go to Central Coast Lending website, centralcoastlending.com, and on their website is a tab for the radio shows that has all of the, the kind of list of guests over time, and I'm included in there, and you can find my contact information in there if that's the easiest way. Yep, and in if nothing else, just call us at 543-LOAN, and we'll put you in touch with Mary. We definitely know how to do that. Um, so cool. Dan? I've been dying to tell you all about VA loans. I've just been dying to hear what you have to say about it. So I want to start this by saying that um, I always warn people that the uh, loan world is something that you got to check back into every once in a while because things really do change and change so much that I wanted I want to tell you that the VA loan was out of season just a short couple years ago. Um, it was out of season for a few reasons. Number one. Um, the interest rates were generally higher than the conventional interest rate. And that is kind of baffling because it's a guaranteed loan. Um, but that being said, if a, if a veteran came in to get a loan, and um, I always make it a practice to find out early on today whether the person that I'm dealing with is a veteran or not, um, if they came in to get any kind of loan, um, usually a conventional loan would have been the better approach if they have equity, you know, especially if it's a refinance or if they're making a big down payment. Uh, historically, VA has been a good loan for people that have um, minimum down payment or no down payment at all because that loan does offer 100% financing. In an effort to be more relevant, and I believe at its very core to serve the veterans, the program's been expanded to allow a lot lately. Um, so, so first of all, I just want to tell you that um, if you are a veteran and you have any kind of financing problems at all or wish that you could refinance, it's worth looking into again. The guidelines have been expanded to allow the payoff of a second lien. 
you used to only be able to refinance a VA loan if you had a VA loan to begin with and you get a new VA loan, kind of replacing it with a new lower rate. Today, they allow you to refinance any type of loan into a VA loan as long as you're a veteran. So that's a really big deal. Um, so if you're a veteran in years past, you went in to get your subprime loan refinanced and the bank said, nope, you can't do it because we no longer have subprime and VA doesn't allow you to refi a subprime loan into a VA loan. That's no longer the case. You can do any type of loan now um, and change that into a VA loan if you're an eligible veteran. So that's a really cool thing. Um, and then just switching gears a little bit. Um, I, I feel inclined to, to just talk about this because, uh, and Mary, you can tell me what your experience has been. I hear little chatterings around the office cooler when I'm in real estate offices that if you're representing a seller and you receive a VA offer that it's weak, um, or perhaps less desirable than a normal deal. I mean, would you, would you suggest that that's kind of the sentiment? Well, first I, I, I want to pay tribute to veterans, especially this weekend. I want to say thank you for your service and welcome home. Yep. And uh, say that I think VA loans are fabulous, uh, fabulous opportunity for veterans to use. Uh, they do, unfortunately, have a little bit of a stigma attached to them along with FHA loans. And primarily, I think that is because FHA loans and VA loans require the property to be in a certain condition like you it has to be a little bit above habitable yeah and so there are some things that would be if they're called out in an appraisal that need repair that the escrow won't close until those things are fixed and they have to typically be fixed by the seller also in a va loan in particular it has to get a clear termite report and that possibly could be the biggest impediment in the last couple of years when we had so many uh, uh, so many foreclosures and short sales, the banks typically weren't doing termite work, but occasionally they would do it for a VA loan because they knew that was the only way that they could get a VA loan through. But if there was a tremendous amount of termite work, the listing agent should know it may not work with a VA loan because it because they won't do that level of work to get the deal closed. If it's a property that doesn't have that kind of problem, it's a wonderful loan. Yeah. So here's the gig. VA loan is kind of like bringing your big brother with you to the playground. He's The VA is going to protect the veteran and make sure that not only are all dealings fair, but probably even a little bit sweeter deal for the veteran, making sure that they're not taken advantage of by paying um, what they call junk fees. So there's a lot of fees that are just simply disallowed, um, even for the lender to charge the veteran. Um, but also there are fees that they just require the seller um, and in some cases another party to pay for besides the buyer or the veteran in this case. And, and that, um, I'm okay with that. Like you, you said, thanks for your service. I usually tell people, you know, if you're a seller, because I get this call all the time, I'm not involved in the transaction at all, but one of my real estate friends will call me and say, I'm representing a buyer and we received a VA offer. What does this mean to me? Um, how should I advise my client? I said, first of all, 
advise them to make a good decision based on honoring the veterans. I mean, part of the point of this is it's it's almost a civic duty of people to give a, a veteran um, a fair shake, if not a little bit of a deal. That's just my feeling on it. I'm really grateful for the people that are um, defending the freedoms of our country. I think it's a it's an awesome, awesome thing. And where you can, you should give back a little bit. That being said, as a seller of a deal, Mary, you brought this up, hit the nail on the head. VA requires a termite report. And not only do they require a termite report, but they want the section one and two clearance to be done. Um, no other loans care about section two. Um, section two is little what things that I call ticky tacky, not that big of a deal. VA wants them banged out. The VA guidelines require that the seller pay for the Section 1 repairs. Um, the buyer can't pay for them. It must be the seller. And then all the Section 2 items, anybody can pay for those. So the seller can pay for them. Um, the buyer or the veteran can pay for them. The real estate agents or whoever could kick in and cover those just to make it happen. Um, but so that's a nuance. Um, also is required on a VA refi too. People find it really strange that they come in and get a refinance loan um, as they already own the property and the VA is requiring a, a termite inspection. Um, and again, VA just want to make sure that the veteran is, is um, using this refi as an opportunity to make sure that their property is in good repair and not having any issues that are going um, un unmet or undealt with. So the other thing is, um, in terms of the actual fees, the vet can't pay the um, the escrow fee. Usually the buyer and seller split that. So usually um, on a VA loan, the seller either pays for the whole thing um, or sometimes a lender credit might offset it. Um, and then just a couple of other things that aren't really that big of a deal. But bottom line is they just make it a little bit more affordable to the vet. I think it costs a little bit more money to the seller, but it's, in my opinion, a negligible amount. Yeah, and the one other thing that might be a little bit different as compared to a conventional loan is the amount of time it takes to process it. Again, I think the perception used to be that it took a lot longer to process VA and FHA loans than it might a conventional loans, but maybe you guys can show here one of your strengths and that you could process it in the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, okay, so in years past, you would get from a veteran, it's called a DD-214. This is kind of like their, um, their paperwork that gives their uh, military, um, whether they're discharged or not, um, and, and you use that form, used to have to mail it into the VA, um, to get a copy back of the certificate of eligibility. Just that initial volley took some extra time because you had to mail something, wait for processing, and wait for it to be mailed back. Today, um, there's a site where we enter in the information from the DD-214, pulls it from the VA database. We get the certificate of eligibility back generally in the same day. So I think that was one of the biggest um, time delays that people could identify why it might take longer. Technology's really bridged that gap today. The other thing that you got to know is that every bank that offers a VA loan has a VA underwriter, and they're a, they're qualified um, with a special endorsement to be able to underwrite these. Um, my experience is they're the cream of the crop in terms of underwriters. They really are good underwriters. Um, 
their desk is like waiting for a new VA loan. They'll underwrite the conventional loans in between prioritizing the VA loans. But when you send them a VA loan, they, it gets to the top of the list and it goes so fast. So for that reason, um, almost a loan, that process is a very efficient, quick process. And I don't believe you need to give any extra consideration for time in terms of a VA loan. The other thing about a VA loan is that um, the appraisal roster, <laughs> kind of like that bringing your big brother to the playground thing, same thing. They've got VA approved appraisers. It goes through a whole nother process than any other type of loan um, where you, with the VA case number, you get an appraisal that goes to a VA appraiser. Um, and they go out and look for a property that's, yeah, like you said, in better than habitable condition. They're making sure it's at least in average condition with no real signs of deferred maintenance and meeting um, probably a little bit higher quality than that you might find of a conventional loan. But that being said, that's a faster process, too, because these are VA appraisers that are primarily doing VA deals. We get VA appraisals back um, generally a day or two quicker than we get back the loans on uh, the appraisals on conventional loans. So, again, another reason to to suggest that there isn't really a, a detrimental time constraint in doing a VA loan. Um, so to, to just quickly summarize this, I just want to say this hasn't always been the case. In years past, the rates were higher. Today, they're lower than conventional by quite a bit. Um, they didn't allow you to refinance a non-VA loan into a VA loan. That's changed. There are some special considerations in terms of the closing costs and the termite report and stuff that need to be taken into consideration, but they're very navigable when you work with somebody that knows what they're doing, like us at Central Coast Lending. We know VA loans backward and forward. We can help you do them. Um, and then just lastly, uh, I do, I think it's what an honor to be able to accept an offer and help a veteran buy a loan with that program. And I think it's worth um, getting into you know the the fees discussion just a little bit. So I want everybody that has the eligibility to do a VA loan to feel free to reach out to us. We'd be happy to consult you. Um, you can call us at five four three loan, which is five four three five six two six. Mary, I'd like you to just share your contact information one more time before we run out here. That'd be great. Email is Mary at ira four re dot com. Or the phone number is 805-704-8041. We're going to have you back on the show. Um, definitely fun to have you on. And I, I'm thrilled to, to know that there are such high caliber professionals running around this real estate community. Guys, if you need any help this week at all, find us on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. We offer all the loan programs and then some competitively priced and pride ourselves in giving great service we are the mortgage experts call us at 543-LOAN 543-5626 find us on the web centralcoastlending.com thanks so much for listening we'll be back next week with more mortgage matters